It's me. How you going? I'm great. Hello and welcome to Listen Carefully. I'm your host, Nathan Jolly, and that was my guest, Phil Jamison from Grinspoon. Well, let's start with Easy, because you're re-releasing that on vinyl, I just read. Yeah, well, we never released it on vinyl. So oh, that'd be true, yeah. Yeah, so Easy and New Detention are both being released on vinyl for the first time. They were both released in the CD era. <laughs> Vinyls were a bit of figment of imagination back in the late 90s and early noughties. So yeah, Easy is um, coming out on vinyl. So I wanted to ask you about that time because you'd come off the back of the first record, but then you'd also put out Pushing Buttons, which had like a big single. It was like number 13 or something, Black Friday. Was it? Yeah, that's quite, I was I was researching, that's quite insane. Yeah, so in that interim time between Guide and Easy and during Pushing Buttons, we were we were basically based in America. Black Friday and the re-recorded version of More Than You Are were all tracked at some fancy New York studio with an American producer. And so I wasn't really aware of Pushing Buttons success back or Black Friday success back in Australia because I think we were touring in America. And that's when a lot of Easy was written as well, was written overseas. So wasn't really, it didn't really know much about what was happening back here because it, it, whilst the internet was a thing, it wasn't as like as instant as it is now. Um, but that's amazing. I had no idea that Black Friday charted so well. It's quite a heavy song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very odd. But I think like that was just testament to the fact that you just had this big roll on with Guide to Better Living. Yeah. And the EPs before that. When you were going into Easy, did you feel any pressure to follow that up? Um, let's say I recorded Guide when I was 19. So yeah. uh, short answer is no. I, I, I think I was just a really pissed off kid. So short answer is no. I don't think I felt any any pressure whatsoever. I think maybe pressure came around new detention. Um, but uh, easy is just us having the best. Like, I listened back to it for the vinyl. I didn't listen to it in over twenty years. I listened back wow. to it. What did you think? I thought it was us just having really lots of fun. Like it, like there's so many guitar solos and like we didn't i don't think there's any guitar solos on guide outside of back bad funk strike really or maybe dead cat but that was it so easy was like there was instrumental guitar solos there was instrumentals there was guitar solos here there was keyboards there was like synth there was like i don't know we we're having it sounds like we we're having a lot of fun production was a bit all over the shop we, we we tracked that with a with an american producer named jonathan burnside who'd just done lovers by sleepy jackson yeah, which is completely different sound as well. Completely different sound. But he's out of the north of the Bay Area, so worked with the Melvins and I think Nirvana. And, but his hours were like 11 p.m. to like 7 a.m. working hours. And Pro Tools had just poked its head up as well. So we were tracking a lot to tape and recording to Pro Tools. And, yeah, it was just, yeah, it was all this kind of new technology. Yeah, it was a, it was a really fragmented sort of writing process because it was just, definitely disjointed like ready one was written in california rock show was written in illinois you know so it was just all over the shop um american party one was written in nimbin <laughs> wow so and tang i think tang was written there as well so yeah it was really all over the shop writing kind of sessions i, I love easy though I really really love that record it's just it sounds like we're just having i don't think any record company got involved <laughs> It was no A and R on that record. We just did whatever the fuck we liked, and I think you know 
as opposed to due detention, which was fairly heavily A&R to a point. We, we wrote 50 songs for that record. So there was a lot of demoing and a lot of going back and forth. And so, yeah, they're, they're two very different records. But in essence, they were written in a, in a sort of a two-year period. Why was New Detention so A&R? Was it just they were trying to get you guys to hit that kind of triple M level? Maybe. I don't know. I, I never want to think what people think because it, it takes away the magic of the whole thing. Yeah, I agree. I'm of the belief that they just maybe saw a bit more potential in us than maybe what those first two records had shown, maybe. Right. Um, we had probably a bit more depth. Maybe they were right. Um, but by the time we'd gotten to new detention I don't think we wanted to rewrite Easy and Guide again Um, we'd kind of done our elbows out Um, which there's still elbows out on new detention but there's this it's kind of um, we've never been motivated by particularly huge commercial success it was never you know that wasn't part of our ethics really we just wanted to write really good tunes um, and by the time we'd finished with new detention, easy pushing buttons, liquor bottle cozy, and the green EP, we'd gone, Oh, we've, we've done that. So, what's next? And I think I wrote Any Day, Anyhow, and Hate, which are the bookends of new detention, really early on. The, yeah. f- the first last tracks, and what came in between was Pat came up with Lost Control and Chemical Heart, and you know, then millions of other songs were written. <laughs> that so some of them made their way onto Panic Attack, the EP that preceded new detention before thrills but i think yeah i think universal music or grudge records as it was known probably just saw whether it's money or whether it's just potential and i I, arguably they were probably right we we probably needed a bit of pushing to you know really dig deep into what our songwriting sort of was in some ways so we learned a lot and ended up writing some good tunes yeah, you mentioned you came up in the CD era. Guide to Better Living is such a CD era CD. There's 16 songs on it. There ended up being about like 10 songs played, pretty heavy rotation on Triple J. I mean, you guys put out between that and Pushing Buttons and the EPs before that, you would have put out 30 songs in such a short period of time. Was that just because you guys were a new band and it was just like you had that young spark of songwriting or were you changing styles a lot because the first album has a lot of different styles bad funk stripe just ace champion could be three completely different bands because thank you for noticing that everyone's like whenever we they're like our chemical heart was so different i'm like really like no. we, we had hints of it early and i think uh I, in answer to your question in relation to songs and where they were all that we i just i really in back when in that era of 17 to 25 let's say yeah that that age i just loved writing i just and there was no fear with involved with it i just was in i, I felt power and i enjoyed it and it's not power in a shit way just i felt really liberated i enjoyed the process i enjoyed writing funny songs i enjoyed writing serious songs i just loved that whole process of it and it was something that was just so enjoyable never felt tedious at all and also had great songwriters with me pat was writing these great riffs black friday you know that imagine getting that in your lap yeah it's like such a huge riff still like <laughs> pedestrian like i'm like dead cat I'm like you know champion joe and pat wrote together i was just in the rehearsal room going okay this is this is happening so you know we were all striving to just and we were we also remember that in the late 90s of and mid 90s australian alt rock or punk 
was just those beautiful moments there. Like there's so many, it was so many great acts doing really, 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 really good songwriting. If you look at the big ones like Silverchair or Powderfinger or Spiderbait, yeah, you know, the list so goes on. You know, Rigoche were one of my favorite bands and still are, but back then they were just writing such incredible music and unit, you know, just took this massive swerve. You know, it wasn't competitive, but it was it's high, it was incredibly challenging and just you just try to keep up, you know. <laughs> and it also seemed like all the bands around then that were like Triple J favorites, none of them sounded similar. No. Like, you know how most scenes tend to be like, you know, grunge all sounds the same, punk all sounds the same. You got like the living end, you guys, Powderfinger, Silverchair, Spiderbait, Jebediah. None of them would sit on the same bill at all these days if they were just like unknown bands no no it was there was a i, I might say that triple j's playlist was probably a little broader yeah but there was a, a broader approach to guitar music i think in some ways uh, but yeah uh i love all those bands you just mentioned ps yeah <laughs> and we got to play with them on spring loaded so except for living end who are busy playing with jimmy barnes and scott owens just joined the whitlam's uh, yes, he's just he's playing with the he's playing with Tim. Yeah, um, I think they're doing the double bass era Whitlam's, which is yeah, makes yeah. sense. I wanted to ask you about your link with Unwritten Law because they like mm-hmm. busy. They just totally ripped that for up all night. Was that something where they just stole it and then went, oh shit, better credit you guys? Like, how'd that happen? Okay, so we met them. We met uh, Scott. Uh, on the 98 Australian Warp Tour. I started in Noosa, I think. Right. Uh, Death Unwritten Law, Grinspoon, Living End. So we met them on that tour and they were, they hated a drink. <laughs> I think at that time I was drinking Kalur and milk or whatever. Anyway, we, we just bonded over good times. And that, I really enjoyed that Black Album immensely. Um, and they were really fun to party with, yeah. So we got along quite well. Uh, and then obviously Up All Night happened and the busy thing happened, and I was like, oh, okay. Um, but since then there's been like a lot of – because I, I he, I've, he's heard a lot of the demos that I've written. <laughs> so even on the last record there's stuff that he's, he's lifted uh, from my lyrical thing. Um, and some of it's been credited, some hasn't. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Scott's of the what is that phrase or saying? Great artists steal or something? Or, oh, yeah, good artists borrow, great artists steal. Yeah, there you go, there you go. Uh, so that's why Scott's Scott's have definitely borrowed or stolen a bit, but that's okay. Like what goes around, it's all it's all beautiful. Some people are hearing it in some ways. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm more than flattered that. I really love Busy. There's not many people know it, but no, I it's really a great it. tune. Busy and Explain off that EP are amazing. They were both tracked for Guide. Um, at one stage, Guide was going to be a double album. So we had three songs that didn't make it, all written by me <laughs> Greengrass Meadows, Busy and Explain. Greengrass Meadows just got, we were just like, we're not putting that. It was really poppy. And uh, Busy and Explain ended up on Pushing Buttons, where if you listen to Pushing Buttons, you've got Snap Your Fingers, Snap Your Neck, Morgan Dura. Black Friday, and then um, explain it busy. So yeah, it's it's it's, it's the dichotomy of Grinspoon, really. There's the, there's my pop beating heart with um, that stuff, and there's there's this muscular rock band underneath. Yeah, more than you are is another one of those songs that kind of 
it's one i would say it's one of the songs you would have performed the most in the early days yet it kind of never made an album it was on an ep then it was on another ep there's also a live version that was tacked on to the end of guide to better live in yeah yeah anyway that's not really a question just a statement yeah, it was one of the first songs I ever wrote for the band. So I would have been 18 or something when I wrote it. And it's just kind of, there's a message in it that I really like. There's a beautiful Cloud Nothings song. I, th- I thought I would be more than this. It's one of the a repeated refrain that reminds me of more than you are a bit. Um, and I, yeah, so I, we, I think we will probably play it forever now. We, we, we are usually close with it. So one of those songs that is like a full circle song um, for us. Uh, one of the first ever written and it's still making the set it's a nice problem to have you know yeah <laughs> are your sets longer these days they're at 90 minutes um i i try to push for longer personally um but i want to also have supports as well on you know this tour that's coming up with private function and cupid and the stupids trying to do like a two-hour show would be incredibly indulgent and selfish i think <laughs> Needless to say, it's going to be it's going to be really really fun to revisit New Detention and Easy again. Yeah, because a lot of those songs, I imagine, you haven't played since the first time you kind of toured in support of those records. Some of the songs we never played. I don't think we've ever played Dial Tone Live. Um, we've never played Hate Live. Uh, yeah, there's some songs we've never performed live. So yeah, depending on which deep cuts will make it in, uh, there'll be some very. I mean, Grinspin are a democracy, so it'll be one of those quite hectic uh, <laughs> lobbying for certain tunes to be included. Um, but some of the songs pick themselves. Uh, Any Day, Anyhow, I think, picks itself because it opens the New Detention album. And I think American Party Bomb picks itself because it's the first song off Easy. So they're, you know, they're good statements of intent. They wouldn't have started the album if they weren't. Exactly. If they were so, yeah. Yeah, you mentioned you guys are a democracy. You're also one of the very few bands that's kept the original lineup throughout that's quite impressive considering you've you formed when you were very young and mm-hmm. you were quite a deal younger than those guys which would have been a bigger gap back then yeah it's yeah it's quite surprising that you've managed to stay together as a band why do you think that is well for better or for worse uh, yeah. look I, th- I think that um very early on when we so 95 i was 17 when i joined the band and then by 97 98 we were touring america then when i got back to australia i moved from the northern rivers area lismore byron bay to sydney so we didn't see each other as much and i think that helped yeah you know what i mean i was living with pat for a long time and then it just i moved to sydney and then everything kind of just that made the longevity, I think it helped in a lot of ways, the the distance of it. We were seeing each other, but we were seeing each other to either to rehearse or write songs or go on the We weren't seeing each other in a huge amount of, so we were still hanging out. But I think that really helped. Then Chris moved away, Joe moved away. You know, so we were all spread across the eastern seaboard and have been for maybe 20 years now. Um, and I think that kind of helped with our friendship and our, you know, we... I hate to say the word. What was that? It just made it feel more like, yeah. I mean, I, I guess we had the luxury of being able to afford to live apart. You know what I mean? Like it, we didn't, we weren't all share housing in Lismore anymore, which was a nice thing to have. But we were also touring so much. We were seeing so much of each other anyway. But it helped my song, my songwriting. And I think that there's always that, that, 
that what my saying is that songs are your currency, right? So if you bring good songs in, they're going to want to keep playing with you. <laughs> it's true. So I, I think that, you know, over the first four albums, there was really decent amount of material happening. And um, we all love, we all also personally, we all love the songs. So there's still a huge amount of arguments about what, what made the record and what didn't. But in essence, it was a good problem to have. And we um, ultimately really respected each other, respected the process. But uh Moving apart and then bringing really good material and working hard and you know, doing what we do. All right, I'd like to talk about your solo record now. Okay. Eight songs, 26 minutes. Were you strict in those constraints? Because I've got to imagine you write a lot of songs. Yes. Yeah, there was there was the songs been floating for years. And then I had a couple of tunes. I think it was somebody else and lights on and i was just gonna i'd I'd release kapow and rubber band as a 45 or a seven inch single independently and then i was shooting a video for somebody else in melbourne just independently and then uh wally kempton heard somebody else and said he wanted to put it on cheer squad and i was just gonna do it on the seven inch and then i was like hang on (laughs) well he's got a record company maybe i can do a 12 inch you know so we ended up doing, yeah, eight songs. I just there was a bunch of songs to pick from. These were the eight I was really happy with, and I'm very I'm a really hard marker. So there was song. There was this whole new segues of styles. Like there was a B52s album there, and then there was like a Dinosaur Junior record happening over here. And I'm like, we'll just go with the pop thing for the moment, <laughs> and just. You know, and so I think that it worked for me. I still really enjoy the record, which is huge um, playing it. But I do need a couple more songs to fill out my set list. So in between touring with Greenspoon and um, yeah, I'm I'm writing at the moment. So we'll see what we'll, we'll see what 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 one ends up cooking up. But yeah, yeah, you said um, yeah, you're working on a follow up record as well, aren't you? Yeah, I would have got pretty. I've probably got eight written to a point, and then. There'll be probably another eight needed to be written to get to the eight that I want to put in the record. I really like this these eight song records, <laughs> but as I said, there's there's two sort of disparate styles happening, and I I just kind of work got to work out where I want to sit in that sonic landscape. Or well, maybe I don't have to sit anywhere. Maybe I can just do King Gizzard and release whatever the fuck I like. But yeah, the, 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 that's sort of happening. But it's on the bubble because I've got a there's a bit happening as well with um, touring and. And the and the grunge band from Lismore as well. So, but yeah, there's stuff slowly gestating. So it's been over a decade since the last Grinspoon record. Mm. Do you see yourself making another album? Uh, never say never. Uh, Joe's our bass player is really keen to do material. I love the seven. Don't want to touch it. But never say never. And uh, Joe's really keen and he's got some great material so yeah i just know uh, after this long uh 28 years of being in a band it it, it it might be it might be the easiest process to do um but look it could be great it could be great so yeah i, I would definitely say never say never on that um but yeah there's that ultimately after you as you pointed out it's that we've been together for that many years we um 
enjoy each other's company immensely. So there's that great camaraderie, uh, which, and we get to do these great, beautiful venues and play these silly events like Splendor in the Grass or State of Origin or whatnot. So I think we're playing the cricket on New Year's Eve. How are those shows? Yeah, so do I want it? Do we want it? The cricket? They're like, yeah, we're doing the cricket. I'm like, okay. I don't think it's announced yet. It's a scoop. There you go. But um, yeah, I'd I'd say that never say never to Joe's um, Joe's. Uh, uh, he's fairly consistent in his um, badgering about <laughs> maybe doing a new record or even a new song. Maybe is there much Grinspoon stuff out there that you've recorded that never seen the light of day? Oh well. 100 songs? Yeah, I figured. Yeah. Because you wrote so much for all those. Yeah, especially for uh, New Detention Thrills, uh, Alibis, especially. Uh, a lot of a lot of material. In between Alibis, I did Lost Gospel as well. So there was another record I did then. So that was a very, just before I turned 30, kind of, yeah, really creative period. Um, But uh, heaps and heaps of songs on a Google Drive somewhere. There's a lot. There's a lot of unreleased material. Some I, I think of obviously differing qualities, but yeah, there's heaps of it. I don't think I want to listen to it today. <laughs> yeah, well, that was my next question. Are there plans to like you know have you ever thought of going through and putting out like your Beatles anthology? B B sides and rarities. No, the short answer is I think there's a reason that they, they, they didn't make a record. Um, and my theory about it is, is that you sometimes you need to write those songs to get to those songs because they're like a bridging, yeah, bridging gap. Yeah. Well, you said you're a hard marker, so why would you want that out there? I'm a hard marker, but you don't want to always see. You don't want to always see what's behind the curtain, do you? No, I agree. <laughs> when did you start playing music? Because your your family is musical, aren't they? My mum was a is still a piano player. My dad's a singer. Uh, I think I got started learning piano seven or eight thereabouts, maybe. But it was I just didn't love the discipline of it. I felt it was very very rigid. So whereas when I was doing fur release, I was like very like, yo, this is the way I'm doing it. <laughs> you know, it's just like no, that's not. But I'm like, this sounds better. So yeah, let's start learning guitar from maybe thirteen. Or then I went on to drums and. But yeah, guitar was what I found what I was most suited to, but yeah. Why did Grinspoon never have two guitarists? Was that always a plan for you to just be front man? Cause it seems like you're a heavy band. It would make sense. Like, especially to a teenage mind. Like, I think I was a bit lazy. <laughs> I think, I think I wanted to do the pointing. Also, can I just say that I'm a, I'm an okay guitarist, but Pat's phenomenal and I've gotten better over the years. But one in the early stages of Grinspoon's music, for example, post inebriated anxiety or champion or you know those riftastic. I mean, I still would have trouble playing that to the precision Pat does. I don't know. It just worked out that way. He was he he could. He, we didn't need another guitar. Yeah, and you don't. And we still don't. Like I, I play. I think I play four songs live guitar. That that suits me fine. Because I love running around and throwing shapes and jumping and doing my thing. And obviously solo, I play live and I make all these mistakes. <laughs> Pat makes a lot of mistakes as well, but it's part of part of his appeal. Yeah, it was just, I never was that guitar. I just didn't, this was, there was too much going on. I was singing quite, there was a lot of 
hectic singing. Like I was screaming and yelling and really putting a lot into those early songs. So the guitar would have been more like an ornament than an actual thing to play. I was like, you know, because I was I was very much gripping that microphone. You sing very interesting melodies in those early songs as well. So they would have been quite hard to do over the riffs. Yeah, yeah. That was like I could like even thinking about post-nebrid anxiety and the riff and how the melody rolls over that. There was that. Yeah, it was always it, it just Pat was a he was a guitar hero. He was like you know he's like Slash or something Stone Slash. <laughs> yeah, so it was like there was no. I mean you know. Unless you have me an extra, like a, a, a rhythm getting out, making it a five piece, it was just I was, I was whatever I was doing. But um, yeah, no, it just never really crossed our mind. Also, it just we didn't we didn't have space in our van for another fucking guitar, another amplifier. Like we fitted everything into a Tarago back then. We, we, we were a nimble touring machine. Do you have a favorite Grinspoon album? Uh, I like Easy a lot. Yeah, I think so. Great. Yeah. yeah. Did you really steal a Hawaiian shirt? I stole a Hawaiian shirt. I stole a Hawaiian shirt. I think I was just talking about America. Like that's a whole. I was just angry at Americans. The whole American record company. I was. How was your experience with the American record company? Because you were so young. Yeah, I was young. I was just like, I think, I think I antagonized more than I entertained the Americans. Look, I think at the time we it was a, was it. Um, round hole, square peg. We we were it was Limp Bizkit and Corn. We were dominating in 1999, uh, and whilst we sounded sort of like them, we didn't look like them. Kind of frat jockey kind of stuff happening. It was the antithesis of who I was at the time. Still am really. Uh, well, yeah. So it just no one really got the joke. <laughs> And they're Americans, you know. Yeah, Americans don't get jokes. I, I don't think I don't think even Americans look fondly back on that time period either. Like it was, it was weird for the music over there. Yeah, because there was also boy bands and Britney Spears. Yeah, as well. yeah, that massive pop thing, you know, um, which you know has its merits, and so and so does new metal it has its merits as well. But we weren't, we were neither new, we were neither metal nor alt rock nor rock nor metal nor punk where we were just like we're an aussie band that would just all of those things and they don't have a triple j either to support that. they don't you've got to fit into a certain format radio formats so either alt rock which i guess this is an easy way to describe us uh now um but back then we only had the two record for them according to them only the one record and they left off just ace off the american release jesus <laughs> why is that too short it was too too poppy it was too, it was too like, what is this? Doesn't fit. So Just Ace wasn't released on the American release of Guide. So yeah, they were like, we don't want that one. We want the heavy stuff. I'm like, okay, your loss. <laughs> anyway, this is after that song was a proven success here as well, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they put on on the Guide. They they put on the Black Friday and More Than You Are. I believe we were on that, that recorded version of Pushing Buttons. That was on the Guide. You know, just to beef out that really muscular, almost metal sound. Right. Yeah. Anyway, like I was just like, I was living in the Chelsea Hotel having a fucking ball. <laughs> I didn't care. I was like, you do whatever you think, Americans. But um, we, we took it with Anthrax. It was it was a lot of fun. I met I met some great people and pissed a lot of people off as well. <laughs> well, that's a great place to leave it. 
Thanks so much for your time. My pleasure, Nathan. And that was Phil Gemerson from Grinspoon. Grinspoon are touring this November on the Easy Detention Tour. They're also re-releasing their second and third records, Easy and New Detention, on vinyl for the first time. For links to tour tickets, those vinyls, and also Phil's solo album, Somebody Else, go to listencarefully.com.au. My guest next week is the Go-Betweens drummer, Lindy Morrison. Till then... Thank you.